Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So I just came across this video. This is happening right now in Greece. I mentioned earlier, story in the New York Times, Britons are fed up with uh, lockdowns. So even though COVID is hitting them pretty hard, they're done with it. They're done with it, and they're they're living their lives. And a lot of European countries are uh, following suit. And apparently in Greece, there's a big movement. So there's this, uh, this picture of downtown Greece with just people everywhere in a protest. Greek police fired tear gas and detained 47 as thousands protested vaccine rules in Athens. So I wish our media, who's so in love with everything from another country, especially Europe, I wish they'd look at Europe and think, you know, they're protesting pretty hard in Europe and Britons aren't wearing masks. And yeah, so maybe it isn't just dumb Trump voters that are against vaccines and masks and lockdowns. Maybe there are people with different points of view than what we in New York have. And maybe Twitter should go ahead and let people express opinions and let the marketplace of ideas sort them out. Because, you know, it was interesting. You said uh, vaccines, masks, and lockdowns. Those are three completely different questions. Yep. So let's talk about them. In Netherlands, Germany, massive protests, tons of arrests, violence. Kids getting knocked down by the cops for daring to say we're through with lockdown. And whether you agree with them or not doesn't make any difference. Just can we end the narrative that it's just dumb, redneck, red, red county, red state morons? Uh, it seems to be happening all around the world where people either don't want to get the vaccines, are tired of wearing masks, or don't like the government saying you can't have your business open. So right. there's a lot of people feel that way. And unless you are either very young and very healthy or have had the vid, I personally think you ought to get the vaccine because the Delta variant is ripping through all sorts of different places. Hospitals are jammed. ICUs are full. Um, and people are dying, including uh, surprisingly young people. But that's entirely up to you because, you know, I've become pretty well convinced that I'm fully vaccinated, so I'm going to be fine. So it's a personal choice. Go ahead and make it. But the idea that because some people haven't been vaccinated, we need to give up our freedoms. We need to, you know, compulsory masking or closing of venues. You can't go to sports events. It's just stupid. It's just, it's dumb, it's it's fearful, and it's it's not backed by the science. Mentioned earlier, CNN had this, they're asking their medical expert gal, if you're fully vaccinated, can you go out to dinner? Well, I don't know if there's lots yes. of COVID yes, in your you area. Can. Well, I maybe you should. It's like a raincoat. If it's raining really hard, you might still get wet. But she never connects it to a real outcome. I'm going to be fine. There's practically a zero chance of me getting seriously ill, hospitalized, or dying of the COVID since I'm fully vaccinated. So why am I limiting anything whatsoever? Personal choice is the only answer. And in in my case, I, I have chosen not to limit myself in any way. I want to go live my life. So also kind of breaking news, uh, Admiral Kirby there at the Pentagon is doing a little presser. And he just called the evacuation the largest airlift that the U.S. military has conducted and got 122,000 people to safely safety. The numbers speak for themselves. To which uh, uh, David Harsani replied, This is like celebrating the Titanic sinking is the most successful lifeboat rescue mission in history. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you created Home run, dis- David. You create a disaster and then brag about what a good job you've done of cleaning it up. How you mitigated it somewhat. 
You know, Laura Logan, this is so heavy, but she was writing about the women and girls of Afghanistan. And and look, some of you are all about, uh, you know, you, you got to have one opinion. You got to express it strongly. You don't listen to anything. This is not trying to lead you anywhere. This is not trying to suggest we should have stayed in Afghanistan forever or whatever, because there are a lot of choices, a lot of gradients. Um, and, you know, I could bore you with my opinion, but it's neither here nor there. So Laura Logan's writing about the women and girls of Afghanistan. And she says it's like when the, with the Taliban now taken over. And the, the women know this. A lot of the women and the, the moms have taught the little girls who are too young to know. It's a long, slow death if you're unlucky. If you're lucky, you'll be slaughtered quickly. Because that is what it's like for women under the Taliban. A long, slow death. It is the end of freedom. It is the end of possibility. It is the end of hope. It is the end of light. And she's talking about you as a little girl. It doesn't matter what your interests are, what your talents are, what you thought your life would be, your aspirations. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a scientist. You're going to be a a, a fall in love and raise a family with the man you love. Forget it. That is all over. It is the beginning of a life of possible sexual slavery, which is a nice way of saying being raped every day by a man you don't love. Being denied the ability to love. You are denied the ability to have your own family, to have privacy, to have a dream. It is the end of everything that is good in us. It's pretty rough. Women were not allowed to work, attend school, leave their homes without a male presence. Women were beaten if their belt buckles were too shiny. Girls were not fed in the orphanages orphanages until the boys had been fed, and there wasn't enough food for the boys. On top of that, there is no joy in tyranny and rule by terror. Unbelievable. And and everybody is calling a big, loud BS on the whole, we're going to be better to women this time around. Propaganda talking points. Uh, but I think Joe Biden was right the other day when he said, if it wasn't for a 9-11, do you think we would have ever gone into Afghanistan and thrown out the Taliban? No, we wouldn't have. It's horrible. No. It's absolutely horrible that they make people live that way. But we weren't going to go over there and do anything about it, just like we don't do anything about lots of places. Yeah, you know, that's true. It's not entirely a no, we wouldn't have ended up involved in that region because Pakistan and Afghanistan, and then the region between them is so unholy and okay. packed with terrorists then, then, and the rest of it. But then you're making an argument that we'd have gone on in for some geopolitical strategic reason, but we weren't going to go in because the Taliban was treating people poorly. No. Oh, no, no. Nope. Nope. Uh, and then just a, a couple more things, just because it helps you understand um, who these people are. This is how sick the Taliban types are. They're death cultists. Um. Uh, she said she recounted an interview she was conducting with a Taliban commander in the back of a car. She said he took her on a guilt trip as he described how hard his life had been. There was the human part of my heart that was feeling a little bit guilty, a little sad, a little bit of pain, Logan said. Then he looked through the window of the car, and everything about this man changed. It was this instant, deep-rooted anger and hatred, and he became a completely different person. He was looking through the window of the car, and there were two Afghan women waiting to cross the road, and they had the full hijab on, but their faces were not covered by the burqa. He said it was disgusting. He began spewing vitriol and hatred, told her, if you were here, if you were not here right now, I would kill those women myself. They have dishonored me. They have dishonored Allah. They have dishonored the Taliban. They have dishonored the Islamic Emirate. I am filthy right now. 
He wanted to murder them right there for showing their faces. That's so crazy. It is so crazy. It's a, it's 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 this is something Jordan Peterson talks about all the time is you have to look at things like this and realize this is what human beings are capable of. You're capable of it too in the in wrong circumstances. Um, and we always you know, have to watch out for that because clearly people are capable of that sort of thing. It, it doesn't make any sense to us. I can't imagine how you get there. Yeah, if the sack of muscle, bones, and organs that is you had been born in and brought up under you know fundamentalist Islamic rule, you would probably act similarly. You know, you know that's one of the great. Uh, it, in a weird way, it's it's like the whole presentist thing among the woke, where they want to tear down a statue of Abe Lincoln because he didn't have twenty first century Berkeley attitudes about race, well, um, as if they're better than him. Right. While we're on that topic, that seems like a good play, time to play a little clip from Bill Maher from Friday night when he was talking about this very sort of stuff. How about clip number three there, Michael? We're not the bad guys. Oppression is what we were trying to stop in Afghanistan. We failed, but any immigrant will tell you we've largely succeeded here, and yet the overriding thrust of current woke ideology is that America is rotten to the core, irredeemably racist from the moment it was founded, and so oppressive, sexist, and homophobic, we can't find a host for the Oscars or Jeopardy. The new Jeopardy guy is out because he said boobies in 2014. And this is where your new Afghani roommates that you took in will prove so valuable because they'll turn to you and say, have you people lost your minds? Have you ever heard of honor killings, public beheadings, throwing gay men off of roofs, arranged marriages to minors, state-sanctioned wife-beating, female genital mutilation, marriage by capture? Because we have. What's the lesson of Afghanistan? Maybe it's that everyone from the giant dorm room bitch session that is the Internet should take a good look at what real oppression looks like. Ask your maid. Ask your Uber driver. Ask the Asian woman giving you a massage. She'll tell you this place is Shangri-La. And not just because she works in a place called Shangri-La. <laughs> America may not be the country of your faculty lounge and Twitter dreams, but no one here tries to escape by hanging on to an airplane. No, we wait till we're inside the plane to fight. <laughs> And then only because they cut off the beverage service. Uh, love hearing that out of a lefty, a you know, one of the leading lights of liberalism, you know, being a, a progressive for the past, geez, 20, 30 years, saying, let's get some perspective here. All right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so incredibly frustrating for a lot of us is we're aware of the oppression and and horrors and, and violence and just the awfulness of so much of the world throughout history and right now. And this set of principles that was developed for self-governance, natural rights, human rights, has been the miracle drug that's cured the evil. It's done enormous. It, it has saved hundreds of billions of souls. Billions of souls have been saved by this wonder drug of human rights, of the American style. And what's really frustrating is you have the woke lunatics saying the wonder drug is the problem. And we need to eliminate that. Trust us, and we will rule with an iron hand. We will discriminate. Ibram X. Kendi says this. 
discrimination, violations of the rule of, of, of the, uh, the, the, the Bill of Rights are okay if it serves a greater purpose. So just give us these iron powers and we will do better than the system that has saved the souls of the billions. Striking that bargain, you deserve what you get, man. Coming up, we touched on this briefly. Um, one of the leading thinkers about whether or not vaccines are a good idea, Alec Berenson, got booted off of Twitter. We should uh, touch on that. Um, a couple other things we need to tell you about, too. Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. What happened down there is the wind had changed. Storm rolled in from the north and it started to rain. It rained real hard and it rained for a real long time. Six feet of water in the streets of Evangeline. Louisiana 1927. Great Randy Newman song about the flood of 1927 that became very popular during Katrina. And I'm starting to hear it again. Good tune. The river rose all day, the river rose all night. Some folks got away, some folks didn't make it out all right. Wow, heavy stuff. If Randy wrote a song every time New Orleans flooded, he'd have like a double album at this point. And we were wondering during the commercial break, at some point do people decide New Orleans shouldn't exist? Just, it's not a good idea. Or put everything up on stilts or something. Uh, The levees held, though. So Katrina was not, because of the size of the flood, or the storm, necessarily, it was because the, the levees failed. This one was as big, but the levees held, so they're in much better shape. Hmm. Good. Um, Glad I'll, to hear it. Product of a fantastic civil engineering. Um, I don't know Alex Berenson, really. I don't follow him, but he is big on Twitter, and he's uh, one of your uh, vaccine skeptics. He's a former reporter for the New York Times. I've That's been right. following him. That's throughout. right. That's right. I had read that. So it's not like he's, uh, what's that guy's name I never can remember? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian man, oh, I shouldn't have said Alex that. Jones. He's not Alex Jones, he used to write for the New York Times, for crying out loud. Commentator and vaccine doubter Alec Berenstein has been permanently suspended from Twitter. for violating Man, for life! For Thanks, vi- Twitter! For violating the social media platform's COVID-19 misinformation rules where there's only one set of information that's allowed, and who made that determination? The authorities, Jack. Science, the CDC, which will change their minds in two weeks. <laughs> His account was banned Saturday after repeated violations of the rules. Um, he addressed the suspension Saturday night on his Substack page. Blaming his removal from Twitter on a recent post where he was critical of the coronavirus vaccine. He said it doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine, the tweet read. Think of it as a therapeutic with a limited window of efficacy and a terrible side effect. Okay. Um, Agree with that or don't. I don't see why that's banned conversation to have. And I know, I know Twitter's a private company. They get to do what they want. That's not really the point. Why would you want to ban this sort of conversation? I just don't like enforced orthodoxy anywhere I find it. No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, especially in this case when the CDC freaking reverses field every three weeks, like I said. 
Yeah, I disagree with Alex Berenson on, uh, on some stuff. I think he's a little over the top in some of his descriptions. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd like to debate what he just said about the vaccine, for instance. But you can't ban him for life or, for or, that. Or have, or have him make that post, post and then somebody else, you know, replies to it with a, no, I think you're wrong. How about this? And the, the conversation happens there. And then I don't know these <laughs> why people are so afraid that we can't take in a a number of pieces of information and make a decision for ourselves. Yeah, I know. It's I know. A, well, it's it's the the paternalism of lefty America. They not only think they should be able to live their lives the way they see fit, they think they should be fit to force you to live your life the way they see fit. So I ran out of time for this. Maybe I'll get to it later in the show. The CDC has come out with their own language police thing with uh, lingo that they're suggesting that people use around health. That uh, with more use of the terms equity, inclusive, intersectional, diversity, systemic, social and health inequities, etc., etc. The Centers for Disease Control is now getting into the world of language policing, which is not what they were designed for. Centers for Language Control now. And rent control, and if you can boot out a deadbeat control. Just awesome. Yeah, just grant them emergency powers, temporary powers. <laughs> we'll get to that at some point, so the CDC can tell you what words you can and cannot use, according to the government. Oh, my God. So it gets crazier every single day. Armstrong and Getty. If you get flooded out so many times that there's a popular song that is written about it, maybe you should move your city. What has happened down here is the wind has changed. I remember when he sang this during the Katrina fundraiser. Randy Newman. And that was the last time that that it flooded. Well, they actually did okay this time, right? Yeah, yeah. By the way, I'd like to announce the Joe Getty Scholarship for Non-Annoying Journalism. Write one story in a major publication that has to do with a wildfire, a hurricane, a hailstorm, anything like that, that doesn't mention climate change. I will give you $500. (laughs) It's a scholarship. To encourage your efforts. Joe Getty said, journalism scholarship, if you can write about anything like that, then not include climate change, you will get a $500 gift. <laughs> I s- s- swear to God, when America's journalists, uh, they'll say, boy, it rained a little bit yesterday. Must be climate change. <laughs> Come on. Well, that Randy Newman song is about 1927. Was that climate change or did they just it have a particularly bad flood that year? Uh, the CDC is back at it, so they uh, they determine whether or not your uh, your tenant has to pay rent or not. They also determine what language we're supposed to use now. They've got new suggestions for language that they're sending out to all healthcare, everything. Lots of words like equity, inclusive, intersectional, diversity, that sort of stuff. Oh, boy, the critical theorists are are on the march. Many of the suggestions from the CDC, which is supposed to deal with diseases, but they recommend switching from calling someone uh, a prisoner or a criminal or an inmate to using softer descriptive words, such as people who are incarcerated or detained. 
The um, CDC? This is from the CDC. The CDC says anyone who is disabled should be referred to as people with disabilities. How do you think you've moved the oh ball down the field toward good by making those kinds of changes? Um, but this, this, I, some of this stuff, I actually, this, th- that I think does nothing. Some of this stuff I think does harm. Drug addicts should now be referred to as persons with substance use disorder. Uninsured people should be referred to as people who are medically underserved. Why? Oh, for I'm un- I'm uninsured sakes. or I'm insured. If you call me uninsured, it doesn't do me any damage. It's amazing how consistently this stuff moves from clarity to obfuscation, to fuzziness. And from, like, active words, everybody understands, to long, jargony phrases in the passive voice, if you're into the, I don't the language. I don't understand why the CDC feels they need to get into this at all, but... Uh, other suggested changes include avoiding referring to people as their race or ethnicity, such as blacks, Hispanics, and whites. Instead, using racial instead start using racial groups such as black persons, Hispanic persons, and white persons. Okay, Latinx has been proposed, even though, as Joe brought us last week, Hispanic people either have not heard of it or don't like it. But white, it's a tiny, tiny percentage of Hispanic people who have any interest in the term. But white grad school kids are going to tell Hispanic people what they should be called, whether they like it or not. Which And how stupid their language is. Silly, silly brown people. We'll educate you. On the political side, the CDC instructs healthcare workers to avoid using illegal aliens, illegal immigrants, foreigners, or any term that alludes to the criminality of illegally crossing the border, even though it is a crime to cross the border. I threw that in. Suggested and said are terms like people with undocumented status or non-U.S. citizens. People with undocumented status. There's also a strong emphasis from the CDC on um, biological sex terms. So they're telling doctors and nurses, for instance, if you were going to refer to my son, you wouldn't say, how's he doing? You'd say, how are they doing? You don't want to assign a gender to someone with a he or a she. Please no, no, do not, not use gendered language to, to address everyone. That's what the CDC is telling doctors. Now, how, not how to treat a disease right here, but to not refer to him or her. Took the Centers for Thought Control. How's your mom doing? Is she doing okay? Last time I saw her. No, 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 no. How dare, oh, how dare you? you? Oh, dare you. How dare you? She's a birthing person who chest fed me, and <laughs> she's a they. <laughs> Oh, these people are so clownish, <laughs> and yet, yet their their doctrines are being spread through the schools. Wow. Consider using terms that are inclusive of all gender identities for parents to be an expectant parents. Wow. So the whole going in to find out the gender of your baby which was its own kind of controversial thing when the science got to where it could do that. Now it's going back the other direction where they don't worry. They're not going to, they can't look at, I had never even thought about this, but clearly this needs to go away. And the CDC's jumping into it. You can't have doctors or nurses doing that little thing where they put it on the belly and say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm getting a really good image. I'm getting a good image. Oh, is it a boy or a girl? (laughs) Oh, they am a baby. (laughs) But is it a boy baby or but they am a it baby. am them are babyhood embodied. I guess you'd it's, say it's it, got a penis or what? I guess you'd say they have a penis. You wouldn't want it's, to say he has a penis. It's a hum it's a bepenis human. 
a boy. No, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm turning off the machine. Click. Wow, I hadn't even thought about that, but clearly that's the next step. And the CDC, the freaking CDC, this is the federal government recommending this. And then finally on their website, it now says, to build a healthier America for all, we must confront the systems and policies that have resulted in the generational injustice that has given rise to health inequities. Of calling a boy a boy. You people have lost your freaking minds. You're crazy. You people are crazy. But you seem kind of like you might be winning the day. I hope not. I mean, they're, they're the ones in charge of the CDC right now. They're the ones in charge of the schools where our little children are getting indoctrinated every single day. And, and moms and dads, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, birthing people and sperm donors, you need to be asking them that are childs, people who identify as childs, what are they teaching you at school these days about white people and black people? What are they teaching you? Do, they, do you ever hear the word equity? Ask your kids these things, because I guarantee you, if they are in public schools, there's a very good chance they're getting indoctrinated. Oh, which reminds me, John McWhorter, who's a a, a black man, a linguist, a a thinker, a writer, um, he he dove into the whole Wisconsin relocating the border thing. I'm sorry, not the border, the boulder. I'm reading while I'm talking. Okay. uh, I thought I missed John McWhorter has no no opinions on relocating the border. Are they? He has opinions. Are they taking part of Iowa, Illinois, or Minnesota, (laughs) or Canada? Taking chunks of all and turning them into McWhorterville. No, he's talking about moving that boulder at the University of Wisconsin, that bizarre, woke, mental illness story. So we'll touch on that in the next segment if we have to. I think we will. We'll squeeze it in. He's he's a brilliant genius. The two of us are lunkheads. How could we exclude John McWhorter, you know, in favor of our they dribbling? They are a brilliant genius. I'm so sorry. Took me putting it... Put, <laughs> Stop using gendered language to, 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 to describe John Please McWhorter. do not use gendered language to, to address everyone. I am so sorry. I apologize. To... Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Hey, welcome. How you doing? Thanks for being here. It's the Armstrong and Getty Show. I wanted to hit you with this. John McWhorter, who's a, a linguist and a scientist and a writer and a thinker. He's a black man. Um, he's uh, one of the brilliant contrarians in the modern era, along with Thomas Sowell and Jason Riley and uh, Jason Whitlock and so many people. But he was writing about the removal of that giant boulder at the University of Wisconsin that we talked about when it happened a few weeks ago. And I just wanted to read you some of what he wrote because it's just brilliant and it's great. The University of Wisconsin had a, has apparently done black people a favor. It lifted away a rock. It was a big one, 42 tons. And at least some black students thought it was a symbol of bigotry. Because you see, 96 years ago, when the rock was placed where it was until just now, someone in a local newspaper called it, brace yourself, a blanker head. That didn't settle in as a permanently nasty local monitor for the rock. In fact, it was never said again. It was just something some cigar-chomping scribbler wrote in 1925. 
But still, the Wisconsin Black Student Union, making one of the de- kinds of demands that such groups started pushing with the special fervor last year, insisted that the rock had to be taken away with the backing of the school's indigenous student organization. News reports say the rock had troubled students over the decades. Some saw it as a racist monument, as one put it, whose absence now allows them to begin healing. I should probably point out to you that the title of his piece is The Performative Anti-Racism of Black Students at the U of Wisconsin. Anyway, he says the students are fashioning their take on the rock as a kind of sophistication or higher awareness. But what they are really demanding is that we all dumb ourselves down. The idea, it would seem, is that there is no difference between the past and the present. And that what some writer said one day during the Coolidge administration would be hurtful to a student walking past the rock while texting last month. And that this rock is representative of racism in the same way that a Confederate statue is representative of Southern racism. So apparently the passage of time in, is an illusion. Uh, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to have uh, someone insist on taking away a rock because of what someone called it a century ago is performance. And a crude performance at that. The students essentially demanded that an irrational, pre-scientific kind of fear that a person can be meaningfully injured by the dead be accepted as insight. They imply that the rock's denotation of racism, if it exists at all, is akin to a Confederate statue's denotation of the same, neglecting the glaringly obvious matter of degree here. As in, imagine pulling down a statue upon finding that this person memorialized had uttered a single racist thing once in his or her life. I like that. He actually brings out, what about the question of degree? Mm. And it's not all the same. We're to pretend that these students are engaged in something they call critique. Interesting, though, that the root of the word originally referred to making distinctions, as does the root of the word of science and knowledge. These students are implying that instead of, uh, instead of that, on race matters, the advanced way is to resist distinguishing. Then he goes into some beautiful writing, but it's a little long. How can the same people who lustily insist that black people are strong get behind having a rock removed from their site because something, uh, some boob wrote about it some 100 years ago? If the presence of that rock actually makes people desperately uncomfortable, they need counseling. And as such, we can be quite sure that these students were acting. Few can miss there's a performative aspect in the claim that college campuses, perhaps the most diligently anti-racism spaces on the planet, are seething with bigotry. The Wisconsin Rock episode was a textbook demonstration of the difference between sincere activism and play acting. Yeah, I have a desire to join the civil rights struggle. But do you think that they know they're performing or are they so caught up into it they don't even really realize that they're putting on a performance? I think that's an excellent question. I think it depends on who you're talking about, but I realize your question is pointing out some people so convince themselves that they are scared and shocked, and the fact that a boob a hundred years ago called the the rock a bad name that's actually hurtful and dangerous to them. They convince themselves of that, but it is a psychopathy. Uh, blah, blah, blah. The true fault here lies with the school's administration, whose deer tails popped up as they bolted into the forest out of a fear of going against the commandments of what we today call anti-racism, which apparently includes treating black people as simpletons and thinking of it as reckoning. True wokeness would have been to awaken to the tricky but urgent civic responsibility of, when necessary, calling out black people on nonsense. Yes, even black people can be wrong. 
writes John McWhorter. Wow. As the black professor Randall Kennedy of Harvard Law puts it in his upcoming uh, Say It Out Loud, blacks too have flaws, sometimes glaringly so. Now, these weaknesses may be the consequence of racist mistreatment, but they are weaknesses nonetheless. To pretend this is never the case where racism is concerned is to not reckon, but to dehumanize. And he goes on at some length. Uh, we'll post this for you at armstrongandgetty.com so you can read it yourself. But I appreciate him having the courage to stand up and stay, say the obvious. Also, as a fan of metaphors, I absolutely love the sentence. The school's administration, whose deer tails popped up as they yeah. bolted into the forest. Yeah. What a great mental image. Thank you, John McWhorter. Um, while we're on the topic, how about more um, from uh, Bill Maher, who I thought was just on fire Friday night. And I don't know how many people he pissed off that are progressives with some of the things he was saying. They woke up pissed off. Good point. Let's try two this time, Michael. But liberals, as usual in this era, have now gone too far in the other direction. They under-romanticize America. They have no perspective. Last week, the Taliban murdered a comedian. His name was Nazar Mohammed, and he made up funny songs on TikTok. They forced him into a car, tortured, and then executed him. A comedian. Have a little perspective about the stuff we howl about here. I'm, so- I'm sorry your professor said something you didn't like. That won't be a problem with the Taliban because you're not allowed to go to school. In Saudi Arabia, grown women can be jailed for doing the kind of things we think of as routine without the permission of a male guardian. China rounds you up if you're a- the wrong religion and puts you in camps. More children in Burkina Faso work than are in school. Only 5% of Burundians have electricity. The homicide rate in Honduras is eight times what it is here. The inflation rate in Venezuela is 2,719%. The Philippines, in the last five years, has put to death 27,000 low-level drug dealers. My old job. In North Korea, people starve to death. The only people who starve here are doing it for a roll. (laughs) And the only people who have no water live in California. I'm sorry your professor said something that triggered you. But have some perspective, he says. Yeah. I also like him just flat out saying nobody starves here. That's something you're not supposed to say on the left. You're supposed to talk about the rampant hunger that we have across across America, which we don't have. Well, they had to change it to food insecurity, which means at one time in the last year you were concerned that you might not have enough food. So do you think somebody like Bill Maher, Matt Taibbi, these people saying, whoa, dude, liberals, you're crazy. You've gone crazy. Is this is this like the pendulum starting to swing backward? Have we reached the the peak stupidity and now like some grown up normal people are going to start to take over and it's going to start to swing back? You know, you I certainly hope so. And and the pendulum metaphor is a good one because, you know, if you know anything about physics, as it gets to the end of its swing and the very beginning of its swing, it's moving slowly. And and I feel that the movement is back in the right direction, but it feels like it's way too slow to counteract all the indoctrination going on from the kindergarten to the college classroom. It feels like it's not fast and forceful enough, but I'm hoping like a pendulum it gains steam. And I suppose the last place it'll get to is these various universities where they're still trying to teach people to be uh, upset about everything and 
making them actually mentally ill. Afraid of a rock. (laughs) And that's sophisticated? No, that's like prehistoric. You're like a cave person. Just, uh, just, (laughs) Just a big rock. Nothing to see here. No, but a guy 98 years ago called it a rude name, and so I'm afraid of this rock. Um... Um, I'm not sure exactly what to do with you or how to deal with you or how big a words I can use to communicate with you if you're afraid of a rock. What do I got a minute? Unless it's flying at your noggin. (laughs) What do I got a minute and a half about, Michael? Yep, minute 20. I think I got a time to do this story. Shaq O'Neal did a uh, talked over the weekend about how he walked away from a $40 million Reebok deal because an old lady called him a mother effer. Kind of a good story. (laughs) Um, he was coming out of a game during his uh, career, and a lady yelled at him and called him a mother effer for charging young kids so much for shoes, for the shoe deal that he had. And the shoes were, you know, expensive, like like Jordans are, like Shaq shoes sure. were. Yeah. I had $2,000 in my pocket, and I said, lady, I don't make the prices. Here you go. And she smacked the money out of my hand. Why don't you M effers make a shoe that's affordable? The scolding was a moment of realization for O'Neal, who decided to turn down his $40 million five-year deal with the Reebok. And he started having made shoes at selling shoes at Walmart for between nineteen and twenty nine dollars. I didn't even know this. Shaq has a wow. brand of shoes at Walmart. He's sold over four hundred million pairs because he wanted to have shoes that were affordable for all kids. If kids idolized him and would be motivated to get some shoes, make it shoes their family could afford. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, That's nice. I, I thought that was a really good story too. He's a good dude. He's an interesting dude. He's a giant dude. <laughs> I am very big. I'm bigger than average. No doubt I'm bigger than average. Armstrong and Getty.